0: We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Doctor Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. I want to tell you about, I guess, a lesson that I had recently that I think can be universally applied. I guess if you had to categorize people in terms of are they learners or not learners, lifelong, they're always interested in something else, and they're kind of driven by their curiosity, I would be in that category. I say it with nothing special intent, but just as an example now, you know, so we have three cats now. That's an experience. So we have three cats in a somewhat small house, I think. Two cats are brothers. They were rescues we got for about six months ago, and the other is a female, and She was a rescue that we got about two and a half years ago. And they're trying to get along. It hasn't worked out perfectly, but the two brothers love each other, and that's what counts, for them anyway. So their eating patterns are rather different. And I think, in part, we are partially the blame for the downfall of one of them, but we're building that up. So as much as I believed and knew that cats were obligate carnivores, did I really know what that meant? And so, we brought one of our cats to the vet, who we think uh, this cat's sort of having. It's the girl, cat who's having some problems adjusting to the boys. She's smaller, and the boys are more kitten-like, and they're bigger. And so there's that. Anyway, she would only eat for as long as we've known her ground-up chicken. I don't mean ground-up with the bones in there. That would be great. It's ground-up chicken meat. That's what she would have. We'd give her some kibbles. She'd have some of that, and we're not big kibble people. She would have primarily, it's just chicken. So we get packages of chicken. And this aspect of having only one kind of protein is wrong, and it can get you in trouble. And so the human lesson at this basic level of understanding, this early in the story, is that you can't go, I just like beef. I just eat my beef. What does that mean? When you say beef, you're just eating what, hamburgers? Well, you will get into nutritional deficiency. But when people talk about protein as a macro, they don't go further. I mean, it's that's why it's rather very ignorant. And it's only partially useful to refer to your food, your diet as these are my macros. And that's as far as you think. I have X amount of protein. I have X amount of carbs. I have X amount of fats. It's almost useless. I've always felt that way. And then, of course, I went through being very sick, about what, eight years ago now, 2012, 2013, got myself out of that only by deciding not to be attached to all that I knew in medical school and thinking that was the right way and that we had the answers or that I had the answers. So, but even through all that time and all the lectures I had given, I always thought you had to cover what they call macronutrition. Now, here's your macros and then micronutrition or your micronutrients. Uh, the macronutrients are, didn't we learn this in first grade? Fats, carbohydrates, and protein. It's almost a useless way of describing your diet. So when people only think about protein, they don't differentiate between muscle meat and organ meat. They just don't go beyond it. And there's a huge difference in that. As well as muscle meat from fish, muscle meat from beef, muscle meat from chicken, muscle meat from, you know, you name it, pork, lamb, rabbit, cougar. Puma, wild game. It's just, it's very different because these animals eat different things. I mean, it's not extremely different. They're all, you know, you're being a carnivore, a meat eater by having these things, but the muscle meat varies. So even if you were saying, I just eat muscle meat, you will still have a kind of a deficiency if that's all you're going to stay to. You are obligated, if you are going to be a carnivore, to have organ meats. And that is, and how I, Simplify that list. It's liver. So you learn how to like liver. You learn how to cook liver. You learn about liver pate, and you find out how delicious it is. You know when you hear about foie gras, which is fatty liver-induced geese. That's a torturous way to bring up geese, for sure. But it's such a delicacy in Europe. And what that is is liver. So you can have pates of a geese liver, goose liver of chicken livers, which are really good, by the way. And they're just exquisite. Then obviously you could do the same thing of calves and beef liver, but it's important because it contains a different nutrient profile than does muscle meat by a big deal. And when I when you talk about heart, by the way, heart is not an organ; heart is a muscle. It's a it's a even it has a different profile than muscle meat. Okay, so get to the focus on obligate carnivore. And obligate carnivore. Let me read you some things. Do just give you a reference. So obviously an obligate carnivore is an animal that has to eat other animals. It is obligated. In other words, it can't, and we all think of cats are, by the way, obligate carnivores. Dogs are not obligate carnivores. But it comes down to their biochemistry. and This is where I want to go to. So cats must eat meat. We're talking about lions to your little baby kitty, to our little baby kitties. They must eat meat. There is no such thing as a vegan cat. In fact, you can't feed, there is no value to feeding cats veggies, whether they're scraps from your plate or whatever, it's just not something that they digest. And so, to go a little further, is that we as humans have what we call essential amino acids. There's eight essential amino acids, uh, arguably nine, if people want to say, oh, no, it's nine. Uh, Glutamine is conditionally essential. You get low on glutamine due to stress and illness and so on, but you also make glutamine. You can make convert to glutamine from other things that you've eaten, other amino acids. So I'm going to call it 8. Whereas an obligate carnivore, the cat family, for example, but I'm going to give you a few other examples, needs 11. Needs 11 amino acids. So it's a little more comprehensive. And let me read a little bit about that. So here we go. All cats, felids as they call them, felines, Including domestic cats are obligate carnivores, but the cat is not alone in being a strict meat eater. Other mammals that are called obligate carnivores include minks, dolphins, seals, sea lions, walruses, to name a few, and there's others more eccentric. Mammal obligate carnivores include rainbow trout, salmon, hawks, eagles, crocodiles, alligators, many snakes and lizards. And most amphibians you'll notice that i didn't say reptiles but turtles are not on that list uh, turtles are omnivores and a little digression for a period of five years i did a lot of what they call turtle necropsies in cape cod at woods Hole in their dissections lab is each winter whether you know this about cape cod or not it's a big hook that kind of reaches out into the atlantic ocean so consequently when the seasons change and the waters gets cooler that all the sea turtles that came up from the south, they want to head south again, but they hit the bottom part. They hit Hyannis and Dennis and some of those areas, mid-cape, and obviously they're blocked. They can't go through it. And then the water gets colder and colder and they get beached. And so there has always been the case, by the way. It's not an unnatural occurrence. It's just uh, the situation. So you learn a lot about turtles. So these are turtles that have been found on the beach. And uh, they're stranded turtles from the winter season. And winter season usually starts at the beginning of November, sometimes early, late October, all the way through till January, in which the, the heart of winter, they've either all died at that point, so there's not going to be any more strandings. Anyway, so all these turtles that died get frozen, and then come spring, about starting in February, from the Audubon Center, Wellfleet the Wild, Wildlife Center, that I would go down with a few other people, uh, the director as well, and we would spend all Saturday, we're talking nine o'clock to like five o'clock, dissecting, doing turtle necropsies. What's the point of this particular story? The point of this particular story is I certainly got to know the turtles' anatomies and took it seriously. You know, jumped in and these are perfect dissecting studios. Lights, surgical lights above, long, wide, stainless steel tables. that could rise, lift them and decrease them. And at the end, you had to clean them all up so clean that you could eat dinner off them. We found from the different kinds of turtles, and generally there's five different turtles out there that would get stranded and sometimes there's hybrids. Some of the turtles were carnivorous, or primarily carnivorous, and others were herbivorous, and others were omnivorous. And so how would you know that by looking? Well, somebody had to tell you. So you did a lot of turtle learning. But you could tell once you got the the base plate, I want to say the plastron off, and you're looking at the viscera, the first thing you would see is the color red, obviously blood. But is it a pale, kind of dilute-looking blood? That would be a a herbivore. Is it sort of slightly stronger? Or is it a rich, dark, almost an oily-like look to it? That would be primarily carnivorous. So what does that speak to? That speaks to hemoglobin. It speaks to the intensity of the hemoglobin and therefore the whole species of that particular turtle. So that's one difference you would see just in who ate more meat. So now, but to the obligate, carnivore. They didn't have a choice. They couldn't be partially vegetarian. So we're talking dolphins and minks and crocodiles and alligators, osprey. We happen to live on a 55 acre lake that was a man-made lake from the 50s and 60s. And the osprey come by, well, it must be like we see four or five dives down to get the carp and other fish that are in this particular pond and it's amazing to see. They need, absolutely, there's not, there's rabbits that run around, but for some reason they're not after the rabbits, they're just after the fish. Perhaps they can see them better. Okay, and they were all about Cape Cod as well. So they have a different biochemistry. They need to fulfill those particular needs. Other things that, I look at carnivores have lost the ability or never had the ability to make some amino acids, like we can, from other amino acids. That's why we have eight essential, and obligate carnivores have eleven essential amino acids. They cannot make vitamin A. They have to get it preformed. In other words, they have to eat vitamin A. They can't get it from beta carotene and convert it like humans can. Right. So we've all learned that beta carotene from carrots, and of course, in other veggies as well, can be made into the active form of vitamin A. They have little ability to convert tryptophan to niacin. So they have to eat it preformed from the animals they eat. And they have a high requirement for taurine, which is found almost exclusively in animal flesh. Arginine's another one that's found in animal flesh. And it's so critical to obligate carnivores. So if you're thinking of your cat, or if you're thinking of a tiger or whatever, it's so critical to the cat that a meal without arginine, so in the wild, a meal without animal flesh they could soon die within that day. So that's how important arginine is. Obviously, it's one of the things that's in most cat food. So they've they've learned the obvious list. A great site to go to is about Big Cat Rescue, which is out of uh, Tampa, Florida. And you go through not only what they're doing right now, but how they learned what they needed to feed the wild cats. They have a lot of wild cats. And so what did they learn to feed? And so they've really become specialists on cat diets, really. It's quite fascinating, as well as how much it has to be, you know, a mix. So they don't just give all beef, all pork, and so on and so forth. It's chicken, it's beef, it's this, that, and the other thing. And uh, they've learned the hard way. So the story I want to give you is that I we took this cat to the vet, and it's funny. It's a very precocious cat that has no problem with strangers, and the and the brothers uh, hide and they fear strangers for a while, and so it came out of its crate, started you know wanting to find out what the the vet, the vet assistants were doing. And we had to explain that she wasn't getting on very well with the the brothers. Some some things turn a course. And so in the course, we talk about diet and we said, oh, we'll give her a raw food diet. You know, we thought high praise for that. Uh, He wasn't too, he was was very open. We had great stories to, to exchange, but you know, it has to be a diversified raw food diet. We talked about, she'll only eat chicken. And she, he said, well, Did you ever hear about the zookeepers back in the 20s that had to learn what to feed lions? It's like they assumed it was meat. So they kept on throwing steaks to the lions and the lions were eating it. But what happened is that they had a very unbalanced calcium to phosphate ratio and their bones got weaker and weaker and they would get a thing called rubber jaw. And so it wasn't until they had to diversify, in the very least, if it was beef, get organ meats in there. Well, the organ meats are endless, but primarily liver would make up most of what the meats didn't have. So for instance, muscle meat does not have vitamin A. Liver has a lot of vitamin A and a lot of other things as well. And so that was a big difference. And so you often hear, at least we're in our learning curve of what cats eat, big cats or small cats, about raw diet. That's not a qualifying word. It's not qualifying enough. What in that raw diet are they having? I think raw is a good thing apart from the idea that it can get bacterial, get spoiled more quickly, obviously, and kibbles. That's the whole argument of why people use kibbles. But assuming that you keep it clean and it stays frozen just like they do in the zoo and so on and so forth, or you get it from a, a can, but a raw food diet would compose of various things that are not just muscle. So you say raw food, muscle meat It comes from X, uh, organ meat that comes from X. This is the constituents of what you mean raw food. So raw food as an adjective to describe a cat's diet that rearing your cat on is not sufficient enough. A story I got from the vet, besides the one I just told you, he said, you know, when they started studying lions and what lions actually ate, they, you know, watched lions and tigers and other big carnivores. And what did they find is after they made their kill, what's the first part that they ate? I said, oh, liver. He goes, that close. He says it's the viscera; they eat the intestines, and so this is beyond my knowing. But it certainly, from my reading subsequent to that, seems to be true: is that what they're getting is secondary carbohydrates. In other words, they're eating carbohydrates that were eaten by something else. You could say that for the whole. That's what all the obligate carnivores are: they're getting secondary carbohydrates because the animal they ate ate the carbohydrates, ate the veggies. But specifically, they get some carbs from eating what was the remnants of the undigested food that was partially digested, right? It was someplace in the intestines, wasn't in the stomach. And so that partially digested carbohydrates or veggie food, vegetables, is something that they ate. So to say that the obligate carnivore does not eat carbs in terms of eating grass and so on and so forth is not true. They do have it nutritionally secondary because they eat the viscera. So there you go. I thought, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. I don't know how much of they, you know, they, do they see the viscera as dessert? So they all fight over the intestines because it's full of all this stuff? Or is it just one of the things that they eat? Clearly, they do eat the organs and they do eat the muscle meat. The more nutritious of those two is the organ meats. Here's another thing, getting right down to the nitty gritty and looking into cats. So you and I, as humans, have the ability to store blood glucose. And we store it around our muscles, like sandwiched around our muscles as glycogen. So glycogen is glucose one step away. So it isn't glucose, it just has to be broken, it it has to be transformed from glycogen into glucose through a glucokinase, should you want to know, basically it's an enzyme. Well, cats don't have that enzyme where they have very low amount. So they are not evolved to package away all this surplus of blood glucose in the way of glycogen. So they can't call on glycogen. So you and I, we go hiking up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire or the Smokies of North Carolina or anywhere in the Appalachians or the Rockies. And we go a little bit too far, we're starting to get tired and we didn't bring enough food. So where do we go then? Our body's going to be drawing on those packages, you know, through gluconeogenesis in part. It's going to be those glycogen Store is going to be converted to glucose. So we have a portability. We brought a lot of extra fuel with us. It's limited, but we brought a lot of extra fuel with us. And after that, we'll ideally be using fat as energy. So cats do not have that ability. It's like if they don't eat that day, you know, they can't. We're talking cats in the wild, how eating the diet that they should have as a, as an obligate carnivore. If they are not having raw, whole animal, viscera and so on and so forth. That day, they don't have a backup plan. It is not all well, they can go without it. They are immediately going to start sacrificing their organs. So they will self-digest themselves if they do not eat on a regular basis. So you and I can fast. So of a fat animal in the wild it doesn't exist. So the the daily hunt for food is important. So that's another thing. So they they can't they have no backup as glycogen to glucose. And so now eating protein. And here was something really interesting, and it made me flash back to a debate that I had, and it's even been recorded as a former podcast with a bariatric surgeon. He was saying, Oh, protein, if you have protein for a diet, you know, it's going to spike your blood sugar. I thought, that's absurd. But I didn't know enough at the time, research wise, to say, you know, this is by the data of the ba- people that I've seen. This is research that I've done. Now I think that's rather an absurd. Thing to say, but it has a partial truth in that particular perspective. And what the partial truth is, is that, hoping that you probably already know some of this, is that all proteins can, through their amino acids, can go into the Krebs cycle and they can be used to make glucose. So that is called gluconeogenesis. It happens primarily in the liver, but not exclusively in the liver. And so that's why protein is perfect because a cat also needs to have glucose. They go, wait a minute, we just had, we just, a cat that has evolved only to eat meat that needs glucose. How does that work out? Well, it's because of gluconeogenesis. It's because of protein supplies, uh, the protein it needs for its muscles and everything else and its enzymes and even its immune system. But where does it get its glucose? From gluconeogenesis. And that goes for its red blood cells and that goes for part of its nervous system as well. And so that's why For obligate carnivores, protein, as in whole food source of protein, is ideal. It's this package. It's like package. It's all about supporting infrastructure. Infrastructure are the bones and the muscles, we're going to call it, okay? But it also has this extra feature of, oh, it also can be converted into glucose when you need it. It's like, well, there you go. Let's just eat protein. Well, guess what? So that argument we had with that bariatric surgeon, doesn't spike your glucose that part was absurd. But what I used to think that, huh, that's right, I guess, I guess that would be a bad thing if you just had a completely whole food source of protein, you know, or protein, what, how are you going to be able to live? You know, it's going to spike your, well, actually, that's a good thing. First of all, I've now measured it so many times and so many different people, it doesn't, it might keep it in the writing, your blood glucose levels writing in the 90s, which is not bad, it's still considered normal range. I think that's high normal, if you ask me. But it doesn't go beyond that. Whereas, as humans now, I'm speaking, they have carbs, which is primarily processed foods, or that they can get their blood sugars up to two and 300 and even 400 and even up to 600 or something. Then throw in, you know, if they're stressed out or a metabolism that has clearly gone awry, You can get extraordinarily high levels of blood glucose, which is a combination of what their diet is, crap, meaning refined carbohydrates, even if you get it in the hospital, and your body being stressed enough to make its own glucose on top of that. Talk about that, huh? So that's interesting. That's why protein really is the perfect food if you were out. Traveling, you know, for you now on that hike in the Rockies, the White Mountains, wherever you are, and you went too far, and the one thing you brought along was beef jerky, which is dried muscle meat for the most part. And you could have, I've heard people doing dried liver as well. That's rare. Most people don't like it. But if you had, which is what they did, this was what Native Americans did, and this is what Aboriginal peoples did, is they had dried meat they took with them. And was usually dried, kind of oily meat because it had all that saturated fats, which is another source of energy, a very quick source of energy. Not like sugar, quick, but pretty quick. And so, but let's say they didn't even have the fat and they just had the protein, which is kind of hard to get that naturally by itself. And you're eating that, that will give you some of enough appropriate glucose for you to sustain your glucose activities, which is for your red blood cells and your nervous system. So in terms of one macro Protein is it, but I hope your thinking goes beyond that. Oh, now I need to have protein. Please diversify your protein sources, even if it's just muscle meat. But no, if you're just sticking to muscle meat, you will self-induce a nutritional deficiencies. Whether it's you're not getting essential fatty acids or whether you're not getting your fat-soluble vitamins. You need to do this. But now understand that protein, as is rather ignorant, One word term for a macronutrient, if it's a complete whole food source of protein, it's a wonderful source and it can sustain life. Whereas carbohydrates by themselves cannot sustain life. There is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. There is such thing as essential fats. There is such thing as essential amino acids. And that is for a reason. So, what I got out of learning more specifically about the cat's metabolism. But they don't have glucose. They, have, they don't have a fallback plan. That's why they do need to eat. They don't eat like humans. We can skip a day or two. I mean, they can skip a day or two too. But what they do is they go into self digestion. Assuming they're not fat cats that have been ill fed, they will go into self digestion to get what they need from themselves. How's that? Whereas humans don't. We can access our fat. We can access our glycogen, and we're good for a while. Well, I'm going to end on that. And it was a breakthrough for me. And I really again, appreciated the value of protein as this complete nutrition, macronutrient of muscle meat, of of protein period. You now need your 8 essential, and you can have your muscle meat, but you really need to diversify that source for the other reasons as well. Till next time. Take care. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonatropath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they're overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in a given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.